Okay, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. Bad news first, right? What you're about to hear is the final installment of our long-running series, The Secrets Hotline, to run in this, the Love and Radio podcast feed. But here's the good news. The Secrets Hotline has its very own podcast now, with brand new, bite-sized episodes being published every single week. Find it wherever you get your podcasts or at secretshotline.org. Thanks. So I guess this isn't a total secret, because some people know. Ah, never mind. I can't do it. From Love and Radio, you're listening to The Secrets Hotline, Volume 5. I'm Nicholas Vanderkolk. Hi there. This is Body Boy, and I have a secret for you. I was a mental health worker for many years. One of the stories I have is sort of a personal secret, I guess. Uh, no one knows. This is a point in time during my employment where I worked at night. So it's like 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and you would basically run this hotel, as we called them. It was a company that had bought up these hotels turned into an amazing project where they afforded people with compound illnesses uh, affordable housing and uh, you know these are people that dealt with substance abuse and mental illness and physical disability and a lot of times you know all three in one human being and uh, it could be a little bit like Lord of Flies but if you do it right you run in that hotel and the residents have respect for you and you treat each other with love and respect these relationships form and uh, you're kind of just working in the world. So there's a lot of very difficult personalities that lived in these buildings. And uh, this one building in particular, let's call her Sally. She was a bit of a handful. She was sort of notoriously known as the, the, like the, the biggest dealer in the building. Uh, so she was always trying to bring people into the building and sneak people out and use her room for deals or for sex work or all sorts of stuff going on. And this particular night, she was extra manic, um, clearly doing a lot of drugs that night and super, super, super high and, and just going through manic episodes and uh, kept screaming and yelling and running around and not really get much sense. But it got to the point where um, she really frantically wanted to dump her room and check her room because something was missing or something blah. You, you get a lot of stories and they all kind of melt together. But the bottom line is you got to go up to their room and just check it out and look at whatever they want you to look at and ease their psychosis and maybe quell the situation. So in this instance, I, I go up to Sally's room and we go in and uh, she's looking for something and she needs my help to find it someone was in her room she's adamant when we have cameras and no one's here she's just going through really heavy bugs like cocaine psychosis basically um she ushers me into her room closes the door and immediately i'm taken aback by so much money all over the floor and these are small just tiny suites like 400 square feet there's a bathroom there's a living area and in a little tiny kitchenette. 
so you're standing in the middle of the room, you can see the whole room, and then just around one corner to one side would be like the little walk-in bathroom. Um, and she is going in and out of the bathroom, coming into the living space, ranting and raving, into the living space, ranting and raving, back into the bathroom, kind of just doing this loop. And this is maybe over like a two minute window of time where I'm just like standing, looking at her floor and there's, I don't know, there's, got, there's thousands of dollars all over the floor in $20 bills. And just all over her floor, like, no, no big deal. Just sort of put my money. And she's going in and out of the bathroom, doing her loop, ranting and raving. And I just decide, I timed it out. She's going into the bathroom, she's coming out, she's going into the bathroom. And in one instance where she goes into the bathroom for the little five second window of time where I can't see her, I just reach down on the ground and scoop up as much cash as I can into my hand and shove it in my pocket. And she comes out of the bathroom and doesn't see me and is none the wiser. And I give her, you know, some reassuring <laughs> language to, you know, get some sleep, calm down. If you need anything, come down and see me. I have water, like no one was in your room, I promise. And sneak my way out of a room while she was um, still going on and on and make my way down to the office, lock the door, lock myself in there take money out of my pocket, count it. I had, you know, it was like two or $300 that I managed to scoop up and uh, took it home and bought groceries. And that was that. <laughs> and I've always really not felt good about it because as much money as was on that floor and as much as I could, you know, could use that money and did use it, it could have been for anything. It could have been money that she uh, had to pay someone back with or money that she was holding for someone or who knows something that could get her in a lot of trouble if she was short that money so uh, I continued to work that job for uh, nine or ten years after that instance worked in many hotels and she was always around and nothing ever seemed to happen to her but I always felt bad when I was in high school, I had this boyfriend who I thought I was madly in love with. I probably was, but that's beside the point. And he wound up becoming really abusive about a year into the relationship. Um, and he began cheating on me and I found out and broke up with him. And he kind of lost his mind. Um, he was later diagnosed with bipolar disorder and he began stalking me. Um, he would show up at my window at night. Um, he broke into my house one night when I was on vacation and destroyed my things. Um, I was essentially just scared shitless of this guy, but I still had this weird desire to get attention from him. And one night he called me and he was threatening to kill himself if I wouldn't see him again. And um, in my terrified nature, I was a 16-year-old little girl. He, um, he wound up driving his car into a tree um, and I was on the line with him until after that. I kind of heard some screams in the background and I um, hung up my phone and I turned it off and I didn't look back. 
Um, I woke up the next day to a bunch of missed calls from his family um, trying to figure out where he was. Um, he, he didn't, he didn't end up passing away, but he was admitted into a hospital for two weeks after that. And, um, and that was the last I heard of him. And I've never told anybody that. When I was a little kid, I was six and my brother was five. Um, my mother's mother died. And so she sent us across the street to get Easter candy from the Easter Bunny because it was also Easter. And on the way home from the Easter Bunny, me and my little brother were crossing the street and he insisted that he wanted to cross by himself. And we lived in a highway and that was not allowed, but he wanted to do it anyway. And so I let him. And when I went in the house, he got run over by a car and almost died. Had four metal pins in his leg and one in his arm and had to get taken to the hospital by helicopter. My family never talks about it and nobody blames me, but I blame myself. Um, he's fine now, very handsome, but um, that's my secret. Hey, so uh, it's been a couple weeks, a couple hard weeks right now. Um. I found out my dad is cheating on my mom with an 18-year-old. I don't know for how long. I don't know what to do about this. He's my stepdad, someone that I grew up to truly hate because always wanted my real dad. My real dad was shipped out to Mexico, back to the motherland. Now I'm stuck here. And I can't really sleep. I can't really eat. I'm stressed out all the time about it. I'm in college right now. I'm trying to just finish off so that I can try to help my mom and try to get her out of this, this stupid relationship. She's so absent all the time at home. I just need someone to talk to about it. I'm a gay man, early 30s, and um, I am obsessed with straight men. <laughs> it's really weird, and I seem to put myself in situations of going after straight men, even when it's clear that they're straight. And I've discovered a lot of interesting gray areas in um uh, so-called straight men who self-identify as straight, but clearly they have some interest in me, some actual interest. And so I'm constantly trying to find that blurry line and I really like it. And I think it's bad for me also. It's been going on since I was 14 or 15 just constantly messing around with straight men and um, it never gets me anywhere and I always end up super sad and disappointed. Anyway. <laughs> Hi, Nick. 
I've never left a secret before, but I might soon. Anyway, I love listening to your show, and you asked for some new promo recordings for the number, so I'm gonna give this a go. Don't know if it's gonna be any good, but yeah, feel free to use it if you think it is. So I live in Berlin and I go out a lot, and to me, the secrets hotline feels like this kind stranger you find yourself next to at 6am in a somewhat quiet corner of a techno club and you feel like you can tell them everything and then it's out there without consequence it's it's like this safe corner somewhere out in the ether so if you want to leave a secret by calling 1-929-SECRETS or visit secretshotline.org. One time my roommate was taking a shower and we only have one bathroom and I had to take a shit so badly that I got a plastic to-go container and took a shit in that and threw it outside in the dumpster. One time... About me and my sister, we were like, I was in middle school, so she was in elementary. So one day, we had got home from school. My mom, we were waiting for my mom to get home from work. And we decided to microwave some shit. Hi, um, I have a secret. Um, I've been dating this woman for four years and she's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me and she's the most emotionally intelligent person I've ever been with, but I don't know if I love her anymore. And there's nothing but good there, but I care about her and I, 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 I want her to be happy, but I, I just, I don't love her the same way and I think she loves me more. And we're really opposite and initially that was a really good thing and we, we were really good together uh, and are really good together. But now all the differences are really starting to add up and uh, if we're thinking about making a life together, I just don't think it'll work. And so it's not a matter of if, but when. And it just feels so dishonest staying with her sometimes. Anyway, that's my secret. Hello. I have a secret. When I was 12 years old, we were visiting my aunt. I said I had to go use the restroom. And I went into the bathroom and masturbated while my whole family and my aunts were in the living room. And I have never told anyone that before. And the worst part about it is that my parents and my sister were yelling at me to hurry up while I was finishing.
So um, I love Love and Radio, and I see that the Secrets Hotline is posted, and I'm so excited. I'm driving, you know, having a good old time or whatever, and then suddenly I hear my voice telling a story about when I was in kindergarten smushing caterpillars with rocks and sand buckets, and I'm like, oh, wait. Like, I remember the moment that I made that recording, and I wasn't finished, Um, and so the story ended with me and my friends hanging out behind the shed slash kid house thing at the end of the playground, right? So, um, yeah, we would go behind the shed so that nobody could see us, and it was, like I said, two girls and two guys, and we would kind of explore each other's bodies in, I guess, a not super invasive way, but still extremely inappropriate. Um, The guys would kind of show us theirs, and we would show them ours, and they would kiss us, and kiss our uh, chests and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, and I guess when I had called, I wanted to share that story because it was a few days after I had remembered the story for the first time in maybe, like, I don't know, 15 years. Um, Because I'm a super, I'm a very sexual person. Like, I, I just really enjoy sex, and I... I hope that the other children that were involved in the show and tell activity that we did behind the shed, that they're okay because I'm wondering now if like one of them was touched inappropriately or something like that. Um, or if we were just genuinely curious about each other's bodies because, you know, that was in kindergarten the following year. I was in first grade and, um, this girl, oh my God, this is another crazy story. This girl, we weren't really friends. We were actually enemies. We hated each other. But somehow we ended up sharing this little couch in our first grade classroom together during story time. And we had a blanket that we would share. And she put her hand under the blanket and started touching me. And I thought it felt fucking fantastic. And she wanted me to do it to her. And I did. And it was just wild and so um I think that's the first time that I really discovered my clip was in was in first grade but um besides those situations I wasn't touched inappropriately by any adults but I hope that they're okay and I hope that they were just genuinely curious and that it wasn't like uh, something a lot more creepy, but um, yeah, so that's the rest of my story. Thanks for playing it on the radio the first time. I have a secret that I've never shared with anyone before. I think I'm a pathological liar. You know, I, I only do it to help people learn from mistakes that I make up. I try to teach people lessons through false things that I've done. And I haven't even spoken to my therapist about it, but I feel really bad after I do it because I know I'm I know that I'm lying and I know when I'm lying. And I have no reason to really be lying. I, I wanna stop, I wanna be honest, but I just keep doing it. So that's my secret. Thanks. I want to confess something else. I don't really get jealous of anybody ever because um, (laughs) 
I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, because everybody who achieves some success that I know, I actually think that I have something to do with it. So that's me. That's my confession. I guess I'm just a narcissistic asshole. I'm a new dog owner. I I love my dog. I don't have kids who are a family, and um, I spend a lot of time caring for her, walking, and, and so forth. And a few months ago or so, uh, there's a park local to my house. I walk my dog around, and I started taking her regularly. And she's very gentle. She's a golden retriever poodle mix. You know, golden doodle seem to be you know very popular these days. And I started to notice another man with little dogs at the park and he didn't like it that I took Kona, my dog, off her leash to play tennis with ball with her. Uh, I don't know why. I think he felt threatened that my dog would go attack his dogs and he just didn't like it. He had little dogs, Kona's big dog. She's black. I've heard people with black dogs are scary to other people. So he started basically cussing me out really loudly and yelling at me every time I went to the park. And I, I never said anything until I finally sort of was fed up one day and um, he started again, you know, cursing at me and yelling at me. I see you. I know what you're doing. Like I was doing something completely inappropriate, which it wasn't. A lot of people actually throw the frisbee in their ball with the dog there. And I said, hey, you you know, I confronted him and told him I was going to call the police, which is very reactionary. I really wasn't. And he said as he was leaving the park um, that he was going to shoot my dog the next time he saw it in the park. And I really was upset at that point. I did call the cops after that. They said they couldn't do anything because it's just a dog. But to me, it's not just a dog. It's my family. And I love her very much. It was really shocking that nobody thought much about it and I was so upset about it I actually started driving to a different park because I just wanted to avoid him in the situation altogether. I started seeing him more and every time I resented not knowing this person why they threatened me and today for the first time I did something I didn't think I would ever do I sort of stalked him <laughs> In the sense that I um, I saw him in the park and I drove by my car and I have pretty tinted windows, so I don't know if he saw me or not. I don't think he did. And I drove around the block and parked it in a place where I thought maybe he'd walk by. And um, I remember sitting in the car afraid to leave it running because I didn't want him to hear it and be causing extra attention. I remember sweating in there because I didn't want to roll down the windows and it's hot today. And just thinking, what am I doing? You know, what if he sees me? I was terrified <laughs> that I was just crazy. Um, but yet I wanted to know who this person was, or at least where they lived. And sure enough, right when I was about ready to leave, he walked around the corner and into his house with his dog and into the backyard. And I don't think he saw me. There was a tree there. And so I drove away and I, you know, scanned the house for the last two numbers of the house number. And I looked it up on Google, and I did multiple searches, and I found out his name. I know the girlfriend's name. I know their ages. I know information. And I guess for me, having someone threatening to kill my dog, knowing information about where this person lives and what they do, 
makes me feel a little bit more in control of the whole situation. So there is my secret, my confession for the day. I'm not crazy. I just want to know where crazy people live. <laughs> oh boy. Um, this is going to be a weird, probably not that weird, but, um, I'm 19 years old. I relatively, nah, maybe I smoke a bit too much. Let me try this again. I'm a more or less run-of-the-mill, mentally mm, unstable 19-year-old living um, in, with my parents. And uh, I recently bought myself a pacifier. And I mean, usually I... I'm going to try this again, all right? We're going to take a pause. Okay. Um, I'm 19, relatively normal person. Um, not shy at all. I tell my whole life story to anyone who wants to listen. I'm pretty much an open book. But I just bought a pacifier, and I'm concerned because I really like it. Um, it's really... I don't know, it makes me feel safe. And I've been trying to think of for the last two days, as I'm slowly admitting that I like this, how, if I can make it cool, like put spikes on it or something and like make using a pacifier my thing. Because the more that I'm like at home alone, the more I keep using this pacifier and I'm scared that like, I don't know, one day I'm going to want it. And people are going to be like, like if I have a partner one day or someone sees you doing, they're going to be like, what the fuck? And I, but I just don't know how to make it part of my brand. Anyway. Weird that that's the one thing in my life that I don't feel comfortable talking about. But here we are. Thanks so much for the show. Love you. Oh, did not mean to say that. I'm so sorry. Bye. Oh, hi. <laughs> my name is but don't tell anyone. My secret is that I think about um, death and dying a lot, um, a lot more than I think I talk about with other people. Um, I Something struck me. I, I didn't think about it for a while, and I was riding my bike, and then it was like... Um, it just something kind of plopped on my head and I just realized that I was gonna die and that everyone around me was gonna die and all of us were gonna die and we're all gonna die. And it was unshakable. It was something that I couldn't get rid of. Um, for a while, and it kept eating at me for a while and I kept sort of thinking about how doomed everyone is. <laughs> how doomed we all are. Um, it's easy to think that, particularly now, these days but then another voice popped in my head and it said well you're already born it's too late and that totally changed everything because it made it feel like death wasn't about losing something but death was about participating in something like it was about connecting to your world 
dying was part of connecting to your world. And I think about that a lot. It makes me both really sad and really happy at the same time. Because it's something we all have to do. And weirdly, like, it's a gift we give to our world. I don't think we should die. I mean, right away. <laughs> I'm not telling anyone to do that now. But when it happens, I don't know. Think of it as a gift you're giving your body to like everything that ever like made you who you were in the first place. It's a little scary. But I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't need to be. Because it's just going to happen. You're already born. It's too late. My name is M. I'm in a confessionary mood right now. And I want to spill some beans. Um, so, one time in the second grade, I had a pair of mittens, and I, um, I, there's this guy that I didn't like. His name was Gordon, and Gordon was being mean to me, and he was bullying me, and I decided to take revenge on him. And what I did was I used some safety scissors to cut up some mittens and then I blamed it on Gordon. And I said that Gordon cut up my mittens. There was a whole like parent-teacher conference. Gordon was called in and I had to look at him in the face and tell him that he cut up my mittens. I feel like that has imprinted on me in some way because I lie about a lot of things and I feel guilty about them, but I also, feel like I can't stop. Another secret I have is me and my dad have a difficult relationship and he's a lot better now than he was before. He's a lot more, um, I think he's accepted that he didn't treat me and my mom the best way that he could and he's trying to make up for it. I feel like I need to punish him. And I don't know when that feeling will go away and I feel guilty for feeling it, but I just, I also cannot stop punishing my dad in, in certain ways, like not spending time with him when he wants and being more like my mom than my dad. I'm not sure how much of that is intentional, how much of it is subconscious, but it's a fact of life. But my secret is more that sometimes when I'm talking to him and we don't have to be having an argument, but when I'm talking to him, I imagine myself killing him, like using tools that are found around the house. Like I imagine taking a hammer and beating him to death with it, or I imagine him sitting um, and eating dinner and I come behind him with a knife and I stab him in the neck and every time I think about these things, I feel immensely guilty, but I also feel good. And I've never acted on any of this in any sort of way with anything. I, I don't think I'm that type of person, but I, I feel... I feel weird that I have these thoughts. I've never been to a therapist. I feel like I should. 
And this is the first time I've really said this out loud to anybody in any sort of way. I love my dad, but I also have these fantasies. And I have dreams, too. Sorry. I'm gonna... I'm gonna cop off now. You made a podcast that really makes me feel less alone. I don't feel like a human being sometimes. I feel like I'm different and not in a good way. I just feel like I'm outside of everyone else and I'm looking at everyone's social interactions and I'm I'm always learning because I don't know how to talk to people. And what you've shown me is that everyone is as weird as I am. Hi, this is an anonymous secret that my heart's kind of racing that I've been thinking about on and off. I don't know, that's going to sound terrible when you find out what the secret is. Well, I'll just start out with what happened, I guess. Um, in high school, I was at my boyfriend's house, asleep in the middle of the night. His phone rang. It was the landline. But it only rang in his room. There were no other phones hooked up to that landline. And I, you know, at first, I probably thought I was going to be able to sleep through it. But clearly there was a crisis on the other end of the phone. I remember my boyfriend getting up and asking a lot of questions and telling me he had to go. I think he told me right away what had happened, which was... He had just gotten a call from a friend of his who had accidentally shot and killed one of his friends, one of his really good friends. And he was extremely upset, of course, very scared, didn't know what to do. It had been a shotgun that went off in the room that they were high on acid, you know, teenage high school, monumentally horrible situation uh, to be in a room with a loaded gun, high on acid. But, you know, you can't go backwards in time. So, you know, I didn't know this guy who was calling very well. And what I did know about him was bad. He and I were not friends, but he was really good friends with my boyfriend. And my boyfriend at the time decided to go out and help him, collect him from wherever he was. And um, it turned out when he went to go help, they had to go or maybe the other guy just directed my boyfriend to go back into the building, the apartment building. He had called from a gas station payphone across the street. They, he went back into the building to get the gun because I suppose they already knew at this point that they, you know, 
You can't walk away from an accident like that unscathed. And as teenage guys, they didn't know what they were putting at risk of their futures or their lives if they were to call the authorities. And so in their determination, the best course of action was to collect anything that could identify them, him, him. Uh, and so I don't know whose shotgun it was or where they got it from, but they went back into the apartment. He went back into the apartment and got it and left. I remember him calling me back to say that he thought a lady had seen him leaving the apartment building, uh, And I remember them thinking about all sorts of things, like, was there a camera at the gas station recording this phone call for help? And, you know, is it just a matter of time for kind of the gravity of this information kind of pulls the world down around all of us? Because to this day, I think we're the only three people who know what actually happened that night, which was... They had been at a party with everybody. They had decided to go back to their apartment and take some acid. And that's where they were when this guy was just, I think he said he was sitting down. He was kind of turning the shotgun around in his hands uh, before he even knew what happened. It had gone off and he looked up and it had destroyed his friends. Just so... You know, he ran out of the building, got to the gas station, called my boyfriend, gone back to the building to get the gun, come back, and my boyfriend went to meet him. This is Seattle. They drove uh, to, I think, the south end of Matthews Beach, maybe, and dumped it in the lake, and it was terrible to wait you know to I'd gone to school with a victim uh I didn't know him well we didn't hang out I think he was a grade younger than me uh but you know they did tell us at school the following week that he had died uh the police investigator actually spoke with the guy who did the accidental shooting a number of times I think he was insulated from suspicion or something because they had the time of death wrong for some reason when they were both at the party. In the newspaper, I remember reading that it was drug-related, which, you know, it was. Uh, Not in the drug-deal-gone-wrong type of drug-related shooting that I kind of imagined, but in the these-guys-were-high sort of drug-related Uh, I never knew what the right thing to do was. I think it seemed like a situation for mitigating damage, and I know that if I had had connections with this kid's family, I would probably have felt different, but, you know, even now, I, I know there's no statute of limitations on this, and I still worry about the kind of trouble that any of us would face, that I would face for 
holding on to this secret all these years. Um, I've looked the guy up who did the accidental shooting a few times and seen that he's, you know, his life continues and, you know, he has social media. And uh, as the years have gone by, um, and this was in the 90s that this happened, or it could have been as late as, no, it was, it must have been the latest it could have been was 2000. And as the years have gone by, um, I've gone through a lot of things in my life. I've become a mother and the only really compelling, you know, pull on my heart thing, you know, tell this secret has been the thought that it might bring comfort to know that your child wasn't killed intentionally. There was no anger. There was no malice. There was no violence in the heart of the person who caused such a huge loss in your life that everyone was horrified by it and hid themselves out of fear, not, you know, uh, I'm speaking to somebody I don't really know, but I don't think it was out of any other reason than just fear and selfishness, cowardice, wanting to not trusting what the system would do if you said, I made this horrible mistake. This was an accidental shooting and, you know, not knowing what the price would be, not wanting to risk that it would be too much for you as a high school boy. I can only say that it seemed like the right thing to do to try to, I don't know, let things just be instead of try to make this extremely distraught individual um, come out in public and face what he had done. So, you know, maybe someday, I don't know, probably never will, there's so much of a chance that talking about it or finding out that somebody knew all these years would do some kind of harm or make things worse, I guess, is what I would be afraid of doing, but it's a heavy thing. And I'm glad to, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's off my chest. I didn't say any names, but I guess to share just more the situation. Hey guys, if you listen to this podcast and you haven't shared your secret yet, please do it. I can speak for myself and everybody else who would find a podcast to listen to people's darkest thoughts that in a strange way, it's comforting as hell. And it doesn't matter what anybody shares on here. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a relief for you to let it out. And it's also a healing for the people listening because we don't feel alone. 
to the guy who shit in that car and put it back at the Kmart uh, for art, um, down to the lady who raped her husband and her kids. To hear other people going through things like that, I think it's pretty amazing. So if you're out there and there's something that you want to share, don't be afraid. Let us hear it. We want to hear it. We support you. And whatever you believe in, I personally send a little prayer up for all of you guys. Hi there, Secrets Hotline. I don't know why I started it out like that. Um, sorry, I'm like super nervous because <laughs> this just happened. I haven't told anyone else about this yet, but my crush and I, who I've been, it's a guy I've been crushing on since I was 19 years old. <sighs> sorry, I'm a very emotional person. <laughs> Basically, we reconnected again this morning and we'd hung out last night or whatever, but we had not touched since we were 19 years old. I'm 29 now, so literally a decade. And this morning we just laid under the covers and we were touching each other and caressing each other and kissing each other for hours. And it felt fucking amazing and I just feel like I'm floating on air right now and this day is probably seriously one of the best days of my life um that kiss was just inexplicably fucking amazing and I can't stop thinking about his touch now and that's all (laughs) That's it for Love and Radio and The Secrets Hotline. You can listen to more secrets every week at The Secrets Hotline podcast. Just search for it wherever you listen to podcasts or go to secretshotline.org. To leave your own secret or any other feedback, call 1-929-SECRETS or visit secretshotline.org. Our opening theme is by George Langford. Our end theme is by Stephen Jackson. Additional music from Q Shop, who you can find online at q-shop.com. Love and Radio is a labor of love and radio and made possible thanks to the support of our Patreon members, especially Sam Hoffman, Casey Anderson, Andrew Simmons, Sandrew Schroeder, Jacqueline Leake, Jason V, and Edging Candy Tuft. If you want to support the show and the production of Future Stories, please consider becoming a member yourself at loveandradio.org member. You'll also get access to the entire back catalog, ad-free episodes, and beautiful stickers, posters, and more. I'm Nicholas Sardine, Punch Punch Vanderkolk. Our final song is Child by B77. Thanks for listening. <laughs>